I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello there, listener. It's Ryan. Thank you for choosing to tune in to this episode of The Second Tier. We recorded this episode on Wednesday night, literally as the news about Gary Rowett leaving Millwall came out. So later on in the podcast, you have a live reaction from me and Justin reacting to that news. Honestly, if it happened a bit later, then we would have been in a bit of trouble. But here we are. So here you go. We have a live reaction to Gary Rowett's uh, departure from Millwall later on in the show. So you have that to look forward to. But enjoy the show. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Louis Sibley to my Jude Bellingham. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. I cannot believe people were <laughs> genuinely comparing those two once upon a time. I feel a bit sorry for old Sib Dog, but uh, yeah, it was never really a comparison when you look at where the two of them are now. Oh, Justin, I'm going to start off with a question for you, if that's okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's always okay, Ryan. You can ask me anything. Anything? Well, yeah, anything. Obviously, podcast ready, but you know what? We'll just open up the floor. Ask me anything, Ryan. Oh, you've opened up a can of worms there. At the moment, (laughs) this is the only question I've got for you. What connects Jude Bellingham, Bradley Wright Phillips, and Pope Jean-Paul II? Do they all have um, dads who played semi-professional football at one stage in their lives? Or played for football, got paid for football at one stage in their lives, their fathers? Um, no. Two of them certainly tick that criteria, don't they? But I don't think uh, the Pope did. The answer to this question, they've all had shirt numbers retired at football clubs for them. <laughs> Bradley oh. Wright Phillips. Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Bellingham yes. at Birmingham, which we all know. Bradley Wright Phillips at New York Red Bulls. Yes. That's incredible. record. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I tell record. you what, I was looking at his record because I saw this and was like, was he actually that good for them? And his record is insane for them. And then Pope John Paul II at Krakowia Krakow in Poland. Mm. Um, he Makes supported sense. them. How about that? Well, uh, I maybe would have led with the angle that he banged a hat trick against their main rivals at one stage in his, in his lifetime. But that's, you know, we'll, we'll lean on what is actually true here. He was just a fan. <laughs> I'm glad that we're sticking to the facts here. Um, if you were going to retire a shirt number at Derby County, Justin, who would it be? Number 27, Inigo Idiakas. He he created so many happy memories for me, and I'm robbed of them because of the camera quality in the mid 2000s isn't good enough. I can't watch the <laughs> compilations of his free kick. Genuinely, the best free kick taker I've ever witnessed in my lifetime, and ever will witness in my lifetime. Um, and we can. We can barely see it. It's like three pixels. Yeah, you, you, you're looking, you're watching it, and you're like, 
oh, there's the pixel there. Oh, no, sorry, that's the penalty spot. I, I yeah. don't know what's the going ball? on here. Where's the ball? And we so can't this... even appreciate his luscious locks either, Oh, my Justin. God. Oh, oh my God. I wish I had that hair. Yeah. I don't. I wish I wish I had the confidence to pull that hair off, even with my current hairline. I just, I don't. Um, and he was Spanish and he was great and he just made everything better yeah. back in the mid-2000s when things weren't so great for Derby County. Yeah. Inigo Idiáquez is a championship icon from the mid-2000s, mm. isn't he? Big fan of that. I'm surprised he's into, suggest, I don't know, Mel Morris for a shirt number. Um to be retired we nearly retired a football club so yep <laughs> good shout <laughs> welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are yes championship football is finally back on our doorsteps ladies and gentlemen it's about to knock so will you let it in or not and what it has got for you in this circumstance is a bunch of previews that we will be giving to you me and Justin are going to make our predictions very shortly so you've got that to look forward to we'll also talk about some of the news that we've uh, missed out on in the past week and a bit since we uh, last covered it on the championship including a couple of managerial appointments which have now been made official even though we did speak about them last time and then we'll finish off with uh, Scott High or Ryan Lowe right at the end of the show but let's have a look ahead to the weekend and in each preview episode of the second tier Justin and I each pick a banker a team we think is guaranteed to win this coming weekend as well as an outsider that's someone we think is going to win but is bigger odds with the bookies than their opponents. We're tracking how we do as the season goes on. It's one point for a correct banker, two points for an outsider. Whoever loses has to do a forfeit. Justin will be going on a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth and back, and I'll be doing a CrossFit workout for myself, which Justin has promised me will be vomit-inducing. Mm -hmm. The current scores are 12-9 to myself after my outsider of Middlesbrough to beat Sunderland came in two weeks ago. Justin's banker of Leicester to beat Stoke won, but his outsider didn't. So I managed to increase my advantage by a point last time out. So let's kick things off with Justin Peach's banker of the weekend. What have you got for me, JP? I've gone with West Brom to beat Plymouth at home. I I, uh, I fancy I fancy West Brom given Plymouth's recent form going into the international break hasn't been great and I think the international break always raises some questions as well uh, of teams you know they get two weeks to to get going again essentially but I think from a West Brom perspective before the Birmingham defeat they were chipping away at results they were doing quite nicely quietly lurking around the playoffs like a Neil Warnock looking for a club in crisis you know they had one eye on that top six and, and it's just one eye at the moment and they have lost two and eight as well which is which is steady it's nice form they've also kept four clean sheets in that time which tells you the solid uh, principles that Carlos Corbran wants to wants to flow through his team and you know, it's slowly, slowly progressing, slowly but surely progressing. They still, still think they've got things to work on, and Plymouth will be a tricky game. They will ask questions of of West Brom, but I think that ability to hold opposition to limited opportunities to shots, I should say, will, will prove quite de decisive. And I think experience in this game will be quite, quite huge. West Brom are a, are a who's who of Championship old heads, aren't they? And I think that will that will prove to be a, a bit of a difference maker in this game. Yeah, I don't particularly disagree with this one. Justin Plymouth's away form is not great at all. I do like Plymouth, but their away form has got to get a lot better because they've won just two points from a possible 15 on their travels. West Brom, I found to be quite an interesting team. It wouldn't surprise me if they actually do better than a lot of people expect of them 
this season. They've certainly had a good start, haven't they? One problem mm. I will throw you away, Justin, is John Swift is set to miss the next six weeks with a calf injury. He's probably been their best player this season. So how much will that set them back? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Most clinical man in the UK in terms of putting shots away. Would I mean, you, would literally, you say? he has six goals from six shots on target. So exactly, he is quite literally the most clinical man, clinical professional footballer in the UK right now. Exactly. So there you go. It's it's going to be it's going to be a problem, isn't it? And he's the top scorer. That's losing your top scorer is going to be problematic. And he's obviously the most dangerous player in the final third for West Brom this season. It's a headache, but I think those defensive principles are really going to are really going to shine through in this game. And I think the fact that Carlos Colbrand's had two weeks to work on it. He's a tactician. He's going to he's going to find little little uh, pivots and, and ways to get more out of this team because we haven't really seen the best of the likes of uh, Sarmiento. Jed Wallace is yet to get going. Alex Mao has sort of grown into the team a little bit and he's he's the next create, best creative player at the club behind John Swift. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a problem, but I do think West Brom have got plenty of quality experience and defensive know-how to at least grind out a win, at the, as I say, at the very least. Yeah, they have got players who I'm sure can fill that void, but will they be able to replicate what John Swift has brought to this West Brom team this season? I'm not too sure, but I would still be backing a West Brom win for this weekend, I've got to say. My banker for this weekend is Ipswich to win away at Rotherham on Friday night. As we all know, Ipswich have had an unbelievable start to the season. Only two teams in Championship history have picked up more points than them in the first 11 games. They are flying and it's difficult to see when it's going to stop. They are just killing teams with such efficiency. Going forwards in particular, they are just brutal top scorers in the league, but it's not like it's just coming from one source. They've had 12 different goal scorers already and it's just a chance-creating machine that we've got here, particularly with the two wing-backs in Leif Davis and Brandon Williams. They have been a bit leaky at the back. But if you look at the underlying data, they've actually been quite unlucky in that respect. So they're just an extremely good side and should be too much for Rotherham, who are really struggling. They've looked really poor so far. Matt Taylor winning a point against Southampton will have eased the pressure because otherwise it wouldn't have surprised me if he actually got sacked over the international break. But it is just one win all season. They're fortunate to be on six points because they've not been playing well at all against Southampton. They got absolutely battered and then Jordan Hugill hit a screamer out of nowhere. So what they've been doing so far is relying on either crosses into the box or bits of magic like that Hugill screamer. And that's why I would be stunned if Rotherham got anything here. Uh, I think now's a good time to move on to your outsider, Justin, because I could not believe what I saw when you entered your outsider mm -hmm. in, uh, in in midweek to me on WhatsApp. Yeah, this was before I had a coffee in the morning in midweek. So this, yeah, there might be some, some grogginess uh, feeding into this, but underestimate the Millers at your peril. Mr. Ryan Dilks, I am banking, Happily. not banking, not banking, <laughs> actually. I'm outsiding on a Rotherham, a Rotherham win here again. Yeah, Rotherham to beat Ipswich. I think Ipswich would maybe do a little bit of a wobble. Now, now there's, there's going to be a lot of justification here. Um, not really backed up <laughs> by 
his stats because it's hard to it's hard to pick stats against his against his Ipswich team considering how good they've been. But looking at the international break, teams can come into it quite sluggish, especially those teams that have done very very well. We're looking at Southampton and Norwich in that first international break. I know Southampton had a heavy defeat, but you expect them to pick up, and they didn't straight after that um, September international break. And I think you know, maybe maybe Kieran McKenna gave the players a few days off. Had a few extra beers last weekend. That might slow them down a little bit. But leading toward, more towards Rotherham, results and performances have been incredibly dire. So this really is the definition of an outsider. But how poor can they continue to be, really? How they, how they have to improve at some point. And why not Friday night, under the lights, on Sky, against the second best team in the league? And I think set pieces will play into their hands. Um, because they, it's been their only sort of main avenue of creativity so far. So, yes, I'm, I'm expecting another shit housing performance, another FMing performance, shall we say, um, with Rotherham to to win hopefully one nil with one shot on target again with a Jordan Hugel, maybe off his arse, maybe from thirty yards. You do realise that if you don't get your predictions correct just and you go and on a coach trip from Sunderland to Plymouth you do realise that don't you maybe I'm sabotaging myself because I quite fancy I quite fancy a 48 hour trip on a coach um, maybe maybe I'm, I'm sick in the head like that I don't know um, but I just I just got a little feeling that Rotherham will really pick up here against Ipswich and uh, I do think what? <laughs> based off the football gods you know, mumbling in my ear they're going to do this they, you know, they fancy it they're up for this um, yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing voices I'm hearing voices and of Pick Rotherham to be Ipswich that is the uh, definition of mad I mean you're literally backing a team with one win to beat the side with the third best start in championship history it doesn't get any more mad than you, that you, you do realise I'm going to be insufferable if Rotherham Get hey, through this. Justin, you can be, but they're not going to. <laughs> wow, wow. Underestimate them. Matt Taylor's got this one in the bag. Am I, am I right in saying it seems like you've got a bit of scepticism about Ipswich Town? I know, I know you are now officially on the Ipswich going up tractor, but I'm still sensing a bit of edginess about actually fully committing to Ipswich being the real deal. I do think they're an incredibly good team and they've, they've proved that. Um, I just, I, I don't know if they can maintain this consistency that they've maintained. It's not to say that they're not going to get promoted at the end of the season, but they've been a rolling tractor, shall we say. They've been ploughing through a busy, busy harvest without any bumps in the road. I don't know any farming um, references that I can make I there, can but that's, that is the best one I can do. You know, <laughs> it's, the the worst thing a farmer I imagine can can do is hit a brick or a large rock trying to harvest an Ipswich. Haven't really come across that, so they have been absurdly consistent. Absurdly consistent. Can they maintain it? I just don't think teams are, can in the championship, well, and they're going to cross. Why? Why have you got that? Why have you got those doubts, Justin? Yeah, it's not. It's not a doubt of them not being able to keep pushing in that top uh, for the top two or, or top three. It's more like the case of they're going to get hit sometimes. They're going to get a punch in the face. And I think this Rotherham team is going to provide it or the next team might provide it. It's just it's just the way the championship works. Where, whatever way the expectation lies, teams will see, surprise you. You look at Rotherham last season, did it to Sheffield United away at Bramwell Lane. Sheffield United were a very good side at home and, and Rotherham went and, and won 1-0 through a Ben Wiles goal against the odds and it's just championship throws up games like this 
but um, it's it's that sort of thing that you, you need to see defeats, you need to see poor performances to see how they react, and we haven't seen that yet because they have been that good. Now, if they continue to be this good, then hats off to them because it's a very difficult thing to do in this league. Let's go back to my outsider, and it's Coventry to win away at Bristol City on Saturday. And Coventry are just starting to get going after a slow start. They won just one of their first eight games. They've now picked up seven points from their last three games. And it felt like they were never far away from getting back on track because the performances were definitely better than results. And now it's starting to pay. And I think the international break came at a really good time for them because players are coming back from injury. Ben Chief, most notably, is back in training after missing the past few weeks. Milan van Ekwijk came off the bench against Norwich. He's their right backer. They spent a few million on has looked very exciting in the games that he has played so far. And I think this is the start of a good run of form for Kov. They've got some good fixtures coming up. I reckon they're going to start looking more like the side everyone thought they would at the beginning of the season. And Bristol City, on the other hand, have had a fairly unremarkable start to the season. They're 14th with five, uh, 15 points on the board. The key thing for me with this prediction is Bristol City's home form. It's something that's been a bit of a recurring problem for Nigel Pearson, where he's never managed to make Ashton Gate a fortress. There was one spell a couple of years ago where they went nearly a whole year without a win at home, wasn't there? And oh, yeah. Things aren't that bad, but they have won just one of their last nine home games in this season and last season. It's also three losses from four for them home and away. And they're just as mid-table aside as you can possibly get right now. And Coventry are better than that in my eyes. Hence why I'm going for a Cov win here. What do you think, Justin? Do you think Coventry's away form is going to play a factor? I know you said they've got up and rolling again, but... The wins have come at home um, and one away as well. But is there is there a case of them needing to do a little bit more away from home to, to get themselves into this? Because I'm looking at their away form and they've won just as many points as Bristol City have at home this season. So for me, it, it screams draw. I think it's... I don't think Coventry's away form is particularly a problem because it's so early on in the season. And I think the reason why they haven't got many points on the board away from home so far is because they've just not got many points on the board in general so far. You, you look at them from last season, they were seventh in the uh, table, uh, in the away form table. So it's not like this is an ongoing issue. I think it's just something that's been, you know, inflicted by their, you know, slow start to the season, really. So I'm not particularly worried about that at all. Tommy Conway's back fit as well. He's got some more minutes under his belt before the international break. That's fair. We, I love Tommy Conway and he can be a difference maker especially if it's going to be a tight game which I think it will be I think that's going to be the key thing here is the fact that both teams don't have particularly inspiring form Bristol City not very good at, at home Coventry not been very good away I think it's going to be a tight game and it could, it's going to be a difference uh, someone like Tommy Conway is going to make the difference but yeah I just think this one screams draw for me I, I'm surprised you picked this one yeah, I'm not surprised about it at all. I think um, Tommy Conway coming back is obviously a huge boost for Bristol City, but I think Coventry have actually been um, quite good defensively despite some of the scores um, that they've had recently. If you look at the underlying data, they've been quite good at cutting down the number of chances mm. that they've been facing. And if they cut off that supply to someone like Tommy Conway, then it's just a matter of whether they find the back of the net, which has been a bit of a problem themselves. But yeah, I'm not too worried about that. And that's why I'm so confident of a Coventry City victory. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about some of the news from the past week and a bit. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. And guess what? Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and it's been a while since we last chatted about the goings on in the championship. So there's been a bit that we need to catch up on. Wayne Rooney has first of all since been confirmed as Birmingham manager. We spoke about that at length. Make sure you go back and listen to our emergency pod, which came out just over a week ago for our thoughts on the whole Eustace Rooney Birmingham saga, which was... Just massive last week. Uh, Rooney says his aim is to get Birmingham back to the Premier League. Will he do that just in peach? What a question to ask. Because I honestly have no idea. Because there are so many unanswered variables with Wayne Rooney. I think people will point to the valiant work he did at Derby as an outlier for him. And it doesn't, he doesn't have the circumstances that help galvanise that team at, at Birmingham City. He's not really got a team, uh, he's not really managed a team of expectation yet. DC United were never expected to get them into playoffs, having read up about it. So he's had two jobs where expectations on results and uh, where they finish in the league have been quite low. He's going into Birmingham City where he's he's, he's, well, he's going to have to deliver because there's, there's going to be expectation there, both from the board and the supporters. So if results up start poor, then he's going to be under massive pressure. Um, but I think the club are, are in a really good place to, to kick on and be a team that's going to be able to compete for the Premier League uh, within the next season and a half is Wayne Rooney that man I, I, I've not seen enough from him as a manager to really be convinced by that suggestion mm. yet but this is what this job's for he's got to he's got to prove people like us wrong and um, prove himself prove to himself that he's, he's right and he's, he's right to back himself mm. yeah yeah Birmingham are a big club aren't they and they, they've got all the ingredients here really it's a, it's a big club Great fan base. The owners have come in and shown great ambition so far. They've not been afraid to spend a bit of money. The squad's young. It's the strongest it's been in years. The main thing that could hold Birmingham back is, ironically, Wayne Rooney. He's <laughs> got to prove that he's tactically capable of getting them to the next level, hasn't he? And don't get me wrong, he did an amazing job in his one full season at Derby. That doesn't necessarily make him a good manager, though, especially now he's without... Liam Rosinia at his side, who is a very highly rated uh, manager now, as we know, and was a very highly rated coach when he was working with Rooney. So I think Birmingham will get back to the Premier League in the coming years, mainly because the owners seem very ambitious. It seems like that will be the 
ultimate aim. I'm just not sure if Wayne Rooney will be in charge of them when that does happen. Um, his first game in charge of Birmingham sees him face his former teammate of many years in Michael Carrick. Oh, that's, of course, Manchester United and England. And that's a bloody tricky start, isn't it? Middlesbrough away. Well, they've been rolling, haven't they, Middlesbrough? And as you say, it is, it, is a, it is a difficult start because he's only had a couple of weeks. And I did watch a, a clip of um, clip of the Birmingham City team training and I didn't see Ashley Cole or John, John O'Shea, so I'm not sure if they've arrived just yet. I'd be surprised if they hadn't. But that could have an impact on things if he's not got his, his right-hand men by inside. But I'm sure I'm sure he, he will do in time. I'm sure it won't impact the team too much. But like I said, I think the, the John Eustace sacking is going to put a lot of pressure on Wayne Rooney because you know, Birmingham City are in a decent run of form. They were performing pretty, pretty good. Um, and the squad's obviously been put, put together with John Eustace maybe in mind uh, as well. But Wayne Rooney's got a talented group of players to, to, to pick from. I know there have been a few injuries there, so that's going to that's gonna impact things. But this is a really good test. This is a really good test to see how, how Wayne Rooney will set this team up because Middlesbrough under Michael Carrick especially over the last four games, have been absolutely fantastic. And throughout the course of the season, they're a very good team when it comes to creating chances, just haven't been putting them away. And now it's all balanced out. They've been bloody good. So Rooney, yeah, he's he's, he's going to come up against a really tough tough test against his former teammate. And um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle between the two, two bearded blokes from United. Yeah, I uh, wonder if he's just going to be, you know, texting him in, in the... Uh... In the days before the game, maybe Do you want a lift, pal? Maybe tweeting him, yeah. Hey, Michael, you want a lift, pal? <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, we have constantly emphasised how important it is that Rooney has a good start because all eyes are going to be on Birmingham now that Rooney is in there, especially after the, you know, the the craziness of the past couple of weeks. Birmingham have got a tricky start for Rooney's first few games. They've got Middlesbrough away. Hull at home. Hull, of course, have had a flying start. Southampton look rejuvenated. Ipswich, don't need to say anything more about that. And then Sunderland after that. That is an awful start for Rooney in terms of the fixtures, isn't it? So this is why yeah. the pressure is well and truly on him. If he doesn't have a good start, then not only is it going to make him look a bit silly, it's going to make the owners look a bit silly and the fans aren't going to be happy because a lot of them have been very vocal about how disappointed they are that Eustace has had the sack so it's this is why a result against Michael Carrick and Middlesbrough is going to be so important I'll be interested mm. to see because in his last season at Derby it's very pragmatic wasn't it very focused yeah. on just defending that goal and any result that comes out of it after that is just a bonus I'll be very interested to see if they go down that kind of route I think this Birmingham squad is better than that, but it wouldn't surprise me considering Middlesbrough's form uh, in recent weeks. Let's go to Sheffield Wednesday. They've also confirmed their new manager, German coach Danny Rule, is the youngest manager in the AFL after this appointment. Uh, he was the assistant to Ralph Hasenhutel at Southampton and Hansi Flick at Bayern and Germany. We did speak about this before it happened, but it seems like, to me, quite an uncharacteristically forward-thinking Appointment, Justin, I don't know if you agree. Yeah, when you compare it to the likes of Isco Munoz, Tony Pulis and Gary Monk of recent years, then yeah, it is, it is very forward thinking, isn't it? And what's really impressed me over the last week or so is he's, he's got very specific outlines. And, that is, you know, he, it is a case of he's talking the talk, he's got to walk the walk sort of thing. But when you compare him to Isco Munoz, Isco Munoz was incredibly vague. So, so vague. And whenever he spoke... Um, Pretty much like me in a job interview, I should not be going for essentially. But 
Rawls come in and he's, he suggested being compact, but pressing opponents high and essentially keeping them away from the Sheffield Wednesday goal, which will do them very well in terms of conceding goals. Marvin Johnson's been pictured chatting with him as well and smiling, which can only be a good thing because he's got a very good left foot and that's going to help delivery to, to what is a, a you know, good selection of direct forwards. So he's I'm, mentioned I'm, it is worth mentioning Marvin Johnson was frozen out under Isco. That's why it's good news that he's yeah. back in the fold. Um, and uh, and I think that that turnaround in mentalities is really going to help because it it's that feel good factor wasn't there as soon as Darren Moore went and then it was really sad and frustrating and angry inducing under Munoz whereas Rawls got to come in capture the essence of, of the supporters and run with it and if they see a team that's willing to to push high and press and be aggressive then they're going to get behind him quick and obviously results have got have got to follow but I've liked what I've seen so far but I've been stung in the past Poyo Poyo's barky at Barnsley um, springs to mind but I, I think there's something a little bit different about him. Yeah, well, I, I definitely think there's a lot more different about him. I think his CV as a coach is really impressive. Mm. And I will say, obviously, Wednesday's chances of staying up are already quite slim. So they may as well have a gamble, might they? If he keeps them up, he's obviously done a brilliant job. Happy days if they go down, but they go down fighting. Then they have a young manager who can lead the club next season. The only way he can do a bad job is if they continue to lose every game and get relegated without a whimper which may very well happen but if so then nothing's changed Wednesday have gone down and they were predicted go they're predicted to go down as things stand aren't they would I feel more confident about them staying up if they had Neil Warnock of course I would because it's Neil Warnock but at the end of the day the Wednesday job is quite an unattractive one because you have to work with an owner who's an absolute madman so if you manage to get a promising coach like Danny Rule, as a, as a, as I said earlier, he's thirty four, so very young, plenty of years ahead of him. Then that seems quite promising, and that's why I think it's an uncharacteristically forward thinking appointment from a Wednesday perspective. Yeah, I think they're in a no lose situation here because exactly, that's got what to, I mean. Yeah, they've they've got to take a risk, and you are right. Warnock would be, you know, would feel a lot more safe in the knowledge that he might deliver he's, he's more likely to deliver safety but actually if Wednesday go down swinging under under Danny Raw and there's a lot of promising factors and signs there they've got then they've got a very impressive young coach on their hands we've seen young German managers come over here and do particularly well David Wagner and Daniel Farker for example they they came in with a similar amount of risk and intrigue and they ran with it and were very successful Jan Seawert not so much but why not Danny Raw you've got to take the risk yeah I do think it is a bit strange that Raw has taken this job on as I say, he is working with a madman and his CV is very promising. So it seemed like he'd be much more suited to, I know, a club job in Germany or maybe even a higher level championship There are job. easier jobs. Yeah, well, there certainly is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he, he fancies the challenge and that's always promising. Uh, meanwhile, Wednesday's chief operating officer, Liam Dooley, has left to join Shrewsbury. Don't know how much we should read into this, but interesting that he's chosen to take up a job at a League One side over working with Chancery. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> while we're on the topic of managers, how surprised are you that Gareth Ainsworth is still in charge of QPR? If just before the international break, if you said that someone was going to lose their job, you'd have definitely said him, wouldn't you? Possibly Alex Neal, perhaps Matt Taylor. Definitely not John Eustace. So <laughs> with us being sat here now. And Ainsworth is still there. How are you feeling? 
It's a strange one, isn't it? Because you don't really want to uh, don't want to shut on the guy, but at the same time, QPR have been terrible. Um, so yes, I am surprised, but then again, I'm not surprised because I don't really know what direction the club are heading in or what direction the club want to head in. It seems like they are captainless. Uh, yeah, the ship's just heading in a in a in a completely different direction to the one it's supposed to be. And I saw an article from Tom Burrows summarised everything that's wrong with QPR at the moment. It highlighted a nightmarish plunge the club is currently in after what felt like Mark Warburton left it in a promising position when he when he left. Um, but like like I said, my thinking, like other clubs who are complete basket cases, QPR will follow suit and be relegated at some point. Decision makers aren't making critical decisions. Gareth Ainsworth leaving the club is one of those critical decisions that I, I, I probably would have made if I was in charge of the football club. But who is in charge of the football club because there's no communication or, or no transparency at the moment yeah I'm surprised he's still there from being honest they've not been playing well results have been poor fans have had enough of the football and the results and there's a reason why the international break is a popular time to change manager because it gives you time to find a new one and let them get across their ideas to the squad it would be ridiculous to sack him if they lose if after the this weekend if they lose yeah. to Huddersfield but football clubs do some weird things sometimes so it wouldn't surprise me if that did hack if that did happen on the other hand sticking with him is a big risk because he's been there for eight months now and there's been very little sign of him taking QPR in the right direction so it's it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks because as I say I wouldn't be surprised if they were to just sack him anyway after this but if you do that, then you ask, why didn't you do it during the international break? Unless they actually are sticking with him until the next international break next month, which would just seem so weird and would also leave them with quite a bit of a points gap if their form doesn't improve anytime soon. It's worth saying, according to reports, Big Beal is interested in a return <laughs> to QPR. Justin, you look very happy about that suggestion. He's a knob. <laughs> <laughs> Like just what he did last season, I, I I'm still incredibly bitter about how it all handled and you know how how did that go, Mick? Didn't go very well. You, I think QPR are in a good position to to not be this bad under him. Let's be honest. Well, I, I I don't know what to make of this. I will be honest, but you look at the job that he was literally doing this time last year, Justin. It was phenomenal. Obviously, a lot has changed since then, but that's all I'm saying. No, no. bridges are burned. Okay, that's fair. I will admit, I can't recall too many occasions at this level where a manager has gone back to a former club and it's worked. I don't necessarily think that means it should never happen, though. Well, you look at Nathan Jones and he left on a a good... uh, He left Luton in in a good place and he went back after a poor spell at uh, Stoke and and he did very well. That's the difference. The relationship was a positive one there. It's not a positive one with uh, with You'd be with surprised. Peter Lewin fans were calling him snakes. Uh, calling yeah, him a snake when he left. That's that's just your typical your typical fan, but you can't begrudge him from wanting to, to test himself. Um I think Mick Beale's really rotted himself with this one. Um I think I think he might be a good coach, but he's he's clearly he's clearly like we, is, that, is that purely that, because of the whole interview he did where he said you can't be yes. the first one to leave? Well, <laughs> There's that, and also there's the interview he did just before he left, saying I'm not leaving after the wolf speculation, and leaves two weeks yeah, later. 
yeah, but it's it's it's, it's a joke. He's he's made himself to look at like I said a knob, um, and he's you know it's just an incredibly unprofessional way of handling it. Um, he, yeah, he committed to QPR and then left them. You just can't you can't you can't return to that. If not, they could just get the hacker man in, couldn't they? That's one return I'd like to see. Uh, while we're on QPR, did you see their former owner, Tony Fernandez, has faced a backlash <laughs> for posting a picture of himself receiving a topless massage during a management meeting? He posted on LinkedIn that it had been a stressful week and that he loves Indonesia and Air Asia culture, which means he can have a massage and do a management meeting. Let it happen. Let's normalise it. We should all do it. Let's do a let's let's do a podcast we? where we both get topless massages while we do the podcast. I'm not sure how I feel about that. If, if you I... were having a topless massage as we speak right now, mm-hmm. it would first of all be very distracting, but I'd also be quite disturbed. Yeah, trying to uh, Gary Fain's has been sacked, and I'm here getting a topless massage yeah. while trying to go through some really essential points that I need to go through. Mm. I think actually no, I think it might make me focus. No, I might try. Can I try this? No. Please don't. He's just so oh. inappropriate as well, by the way. <laughs> this is a serious business here, um, which he runs and his employees are having to see him topless. Yeah. Yeah, I, I understand it from that point of view. It's a bit of a HR nightmare, but if you don't, if you don't have any if you don't have any HR rules, then screw them. I'm not sure this is the type of company I want to work for, Tony. Um, let's move on. Watford Technical Director Ben Manga has left after just 10 months in the role. He came from Eintracht Frankfurt with a big reputation, but a club's statement said head coach Valerian Ishmael now had a wider managerial remit to influence the footballing setup around him. According to The Athletic, Manga's assistants have also left, and so have the eight scouts they hired around the same time. Uh, what do you think about all this, Justin? Pozzo's getting his sacking buzz behind the scenes, isn't he? He's not going for the managers now, he's going for the scouts. Mm. He's got a he's got a yeah, he's got a he's got a scratchy itch, hasn't he? Um honestly it surprised me. I read that Manga wasn't really involved in recruitment over the sewer as you mentioned. Um it, the club was using obviously Ishmael and Pozzo's old team at Udinese and that's not particularly done great wonders over the last 18 to 24 months has it um, I, do, I do think that until Pozzo releases this tight grip on the club they'll struggle to progress because they've regressed so much since that sustained period in the Premier League where they breached an FA Cup final for example and were a mid-table side for, for long periods um, that they, they are now making some critical decisions out of the wrong ones and we, we see where it goes you look at QPR for example don't think it'll get that bad but um but they're, they're making it hard for themselves. They're making it really hard for themselves. And Pozzo doing this, because Manga's got a very good reputation, and um, Pozzo doing this just puts a lot of pressure back on Ishmael to get it right. And it's not particularly fair. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if Watford eventually ended up going in the similar direction to the likes of QPR and what have you, because they have got a very big budget, haven't they? But on Manga, when he came in, he was being tipped as one of the best talent spotters in the world. There was a lot of excitement mm-hmm. around this. And Watford's summer transfer window was very meh. I think that's, oh, I think what's probably happened is Manga's not had as much freedom as he would have liked with signing players and also been butting heads with Ishmael and the Potsos about who to bring in. Obviously, Ishmael plays with a very specific style and he's the right players for it to work. And Watford's start would indicate not enough was done in the summer. The statement also makes it sound like Ishmael wasn't best pleased with what was done either. So 
for me, this whole thing just really muddies the water about what's going on at Watford because Varro and Ishmael has had a poorer start uh, than Rob Edwards, Slavin Bilic and even Chris Wilder at mm. this stage. Yet, they've not only given him a new contract, they've now seemingly given him even more power with this move. So it's all a bit weird. And I think Watford should stick with Ishmael. However, I say that, they need to make sure they're not cutting off their nose to spite their face. Because otherwise, it's not going to do anyone any good. Interestingly as well, Ishmael... Not Ishmael, sorry. Manga is getting full pay until he either gets another job or his contract expires, which is in 2027, which is... It's just madness. It's not a bad gig, though, for him, though, is it? That's a great gig. That's a great gig. Again, you've got to work in football, really, because it's just a cash cow. I know it's a very obvious statement, but imagine getting sacked and still getting paid. Just yeah. put your feet up, Ben. Just put your feet up. Get yourself abroad. Have a few pina coladas. Relax. Ease yourself into your next job. There's no rush at all. He can literally do anything he wants. And he's traveling. getting fully paid for it. It's absolutely balmy. Interrailing for more talent. It's just that's just football, though, isn't it? What other industry does this happen? It must happen in some in certain cases, but in football, it does happen somewhat regularly. Far too often. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Let's go to transfer news. Stoke have signed defender Kieran Clark. The 34-year-old has agreed a deal until the end of the season. Stoke only had two fit defenders for their game against Leicester just before the international break. So this makes sense, doesn't it, Justin? A good move? I think it's a good move. It's a very Stoke signing, isn't it? You're getting an ageing oh, yeah. defender to come and fill a gap. Um, not to begrudge him, I think Kieran Clark's a very solid player when fit. I think that's a key problem with Kieran Clark over the last few years. Some of the, his performances for Sheffield United were very, very good. He just wasn't enough. I think he only made nine appearances, seven starts, nine appearances. Um, scored some uh, important goals as well. But he's got experience. He's got left foot, which balances a defence, always balances a back four or back three when, you, when you've got that. Aerially very good as well, which is which is going to be a big bonus. And experience. So, yeah, um, 34 years old, not ideal, but it's not a long-term fit. It's just to cover the gap that they've got at the moment. Yeah, that he has said that it's going to take a while for him to get fit. So even though they have got a gap there, he's not going to be appearing straight away. And um, you did get me thinking actually about some of the aging defenders Stoke have gone through over the years. I'm just looking at it now. Obviously, they signed Ender Stevens in the mm-hmm. summer. Um, Aidan Flint last year. They also had Phil Jagielka at one yeah. point, didn't they? Yeah. So they really do get through them, don't they? James Chester is as oh well is a is another one. They they love an aging defender whose legs are probably going just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, a bit of an injury-prone factor about them as well. Maybe not with Jackie Elka, but with certainly others. Um, this is I'm going to have to go offline after this and check some more out because I'm, I'm sure there's a really long list. Oh, a yeah. really, really long list. Yeah, there's got to be. And finally, reports say Real Madrid scouts were watching Sunderland's Joe Bellingham when he was playing for England under-19s last week. Imagine that, Justin. The Bellinghams at Real Madrid together. It would be like the Neville brothers, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the Neville brothers. He, he has got Neville bags brothers. of potential, though, hasn't he? He has. He, he's clearly a little bit more raw than than Jude was at this stage in his career. But it's, that's a completely normal thing. I think Jude Bellingham's a a, a bit of a freak in in that sense. But I'm looking forward to seeing how he develops because he's got a really place, really good place to do it at Sunderland. Um, and it's just a case, just let him develop. Don't put the pressure on him. He's he's, he's not going to be his brother. He's going to be a different player. You, you talk about pressure, Justin. I don't think it really matters to the Bellinghams, does it? They they are just built completely different. And I get what you're saying, but 
you have got to remember in normal circumstances, a 17, 18 year old playing regularly in the championship is always going to catch the eyes of mm. big clubs across the yeah. continent. But in this instance, because he's Jude Bellingham's brother, you might look at it and go, well, his brother was already playing regularly for Borussia Dortmund at that age. But you have basically got to completely forget for a second that Jude is his brother and just focus on him. And what you've got is someone who's extremely talented. He has the potential to be a world-class player. There's no guessing where Joe Bellingham will go, but he's certainly got a lot of potential to grow into into a, a, a top, top, top player to throw the, the tops in there. Um, but like I said, I'm just looking forward to seeing how it goes because he's got a lot of responsibility at Sunderland and, and Tony Mowbray's trusted him. And that's a great thing for, for youngsters to, to know that you've got, you've got a coach who, who's, gonna, who's willing Justin, to do that. Justin, I'm sorry to interrupt. I've literally just seen on Twitter now, as we're recording, Millwall and Gary Rowett have... Mutually agreed to part company. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, well, this is this is just fantastic timing, isn't it? <laughs> Recording. <laughs> typical, typical podcast nature. But oh my god, yeah, that is um, on a on a when, uh, Wednesday night. Jeez. Uh, well, what do you think of that? I guess. I mean, the timing's quite strange, isn't it? You've had a bit of a yeah. You've had a week to do it, haven't you? The first week of the transfer window is probably the best time to do it. Gary Rowett's probably set up the team, but at the same time, he may have known about this before the announcement. Probably, I mean, that's going to be the case. He's not going to find out on Twitter is that he's been sacked. But yeah, the timing's strange, but actually I'm not very surprised that he has been, or that, that, he has, that he has left Millwall, mainly because they've been so inconsistent this season. They've not really got anywhere near where I think they should be personally. They've recruited extensively in the summer, spent a fair bit of money, which is not like Millwall at all. Um, and yet yeah, there's obviously ambitions there that Gary Rout just isn't fulfilling. Yeah, well, I'm I'm shocked to say the very least, as people can probably hear from my voice. But at the same time, I'm not completely surprised. And I think the reason for that is because Gary Rowett for years now has just been doing a good job at Millwall. They have constantly been in the top half and he's definitely stabilised them as a top-half championship side, yet his task has been to get them into the playoffs. Mm. And he's not done that for a while now. Well, he's never done it, obviously. Um, especially after the collapse of last season, which obviously on the final day, they completely blew it. And maybe that was somewhat the final straw as far as Millwall were concerned. And we're willing to give him a bit of time into this season. But as things have gone so far, it's not been a cracking start, has it, by any means? I mean, you just look at the table now, the 15th, very much off the pace when it comes to the other teams aiming for the playoffs. And you would be massively surprised if they actually got in the playoffs this season, wouldn't you? Under Gary Rauer, yes. But I do think this squad's capable of flirting with the top six for the majority of the season and maybe sneaking in there. I think that's pretty much where Millwall have positioned themselves over the last few years under Gary Rowett. And that's maybe where the perception's lying for us. But I think there's plenty of quality in his team, as I've alluded to with this summer signings. They signed Alan Campbell. He's a a good, robust, combative ball-winning midfielder I like a lot. Matthias Sarkic as well. Joe Bryan on a free transfer. Kasper Denora, again, he's another player that they signed for, for money who um, hasn't really got got going this season um, so uh, there's a lot 
more potential to come from this Millwall team. And I think they've got the uh, ability to to get into that top six. It's just a case of Guy Routes failed to really find a consistent blend for the majority of a season to turn them into that top six team. And that's been something that's dogged him at Derby, less so with Stoke, obviously, and obviously Millwall. So, yeah, it, it's a change that needed to happen. I'm just a bit confused by the timing. It, sh- it maybe could have happened weeks ago, even before this international break. I'm not sure it's a change that necessarily needed to happen. I'm not sure mm. I agree with that. I think it's more just a case of Millwall haven't been able to take that next step with Gary Rauer. And he's been there for, what, four years now? And it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon. So if they do want to take that next step, maybe it is time for a change. That's what I would say on that. Who they get in is going to be very interesting. Millwall obviously aren't a club with the biggest of budgets who is who is out there for them to get I can't really think off the top of my head mainly because I'm just so stunned by this news Um, from a Rowett perspective it'll be interesting to see what he's got lined up next because as I say it's mutual termination here this isn't a sacking it's he's agreed to go so perhaps he has a job on the horizon I don't know mutual termination it's one of those things where the ownership's probably approached him and gone we want to make a change Gary and Rowett's gone okay fair enough you don't want me then I may as well go you're not going to wait to get sacked are you it's a yeah, mutual mutual it's always mutual in inverted commas you do commas. get a payoff Justin yeah, yeah you've probably still got a payoff um, but anyway that's that's all beside the point I don't think he'll have a job lined up I think he'll have another break um, and he probably needs it because he has done some good work at Millwall you've got to reflect on that he's turned Millwall into a bottom half team who are probably never going to look to to make that top six push uh, and he turned them into a team who we're always in the conversation and that's a, he deserves a lot of credit for that but it's that next step they need to take and like I, I I do think that change needed to happen because form this season hasn't been good enough and um, obviously the ambitions are, are there for to, to, to push higher than, than where they are now and I think it's a it's a good change one that needed to happen Kevin Muscat is a name that comes to my mind Oh, now you're talking. Now you're talking. Uh, but there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Breaking news here on the Second Tier Podcast, reacting as it happens. I'm sure we'll have a bit more reaction to that news in the weekend show. Now it's time for this. Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Give me fucking shit, mate. Yes, it's time for Scott High or Ryan Low. This is the game where we have to rank four things from highest to lowest. Simple as that. Three questions. And this week, I'll be providing the questions for Justin. Are you ready, Peachy? Always ready, Ryan. Throw my way some. Gladly. Rank these goalkeepers on who's made the most appearances in the championship since its inception in 2004. Those goalkeepers are Bartosz Bielkowski, Lee Grant... David Marshall and Alex Smithies. These are naughty. Mm. These are naughty because they've all had spells away from Championship football for, for long periods of time. Um, but I'm going to. So you've got Smithies, uh, Lee Grant, Bosch Berkowski, and who's the other one? Marshall. David Marshall. David Marshall. I'm going to go with Berkowski, David Marshall, Alex Smithies, Lee Grant. You could have not got that more wrong if you tried. David Marshall was top with 449. Lee Grant second with 356. 
Bartosz Bielkowski, 339. Alex Smithies, 334. Ugh. That's frustrating, that is. That's really frustrating. That's... Thank you for that analysis. Lower the mood. Um, <laughs> let's go on to the next one. Rank these current and former championship stadiums by capacity. Those stadiums are Highfield Road, formerly Coventry City, Oakwell, Turf Moor, Vicarage Road. Uh, I think Vicarage Road's the smallest. Highfield Road was about 25,000. I watched Derby lose 6-2 there back in its last game, actually. Um it was a good stadium. I don't know why they knocked it down. Bad move. Um, <laughs> the CBS uh, arena is quite nice, isn't it? Yeah, when, but they're, when they're allowed to play in it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too flash for me. I like it. I like them a bit grubby. Um, so you got Oakwell, Turf Moor. I'm going to go with Vicarage Road, Oakwell, Turf Moor, and Highfield Road. You've got two in the wrong position Justin <sighs> you needed to swap round Oakwell and Turf Moor that was, was the one too. yeah Highfield Road 23,489 it was Oakwell was just over 23,000 uh, Turf Moor just over 22,500 Vicarage Road 22,200 and final question is this rank these four music legends from oldest to youngest Bono Madonna Morrissey Axel Rose by the way, Ooh. Axel Rose's picture on Wikipedia is so funny. He looks really startled. I will go and have to Google that one after. Um, <laughs> uh, they were all really big in the 80s, weren't mm -hmm. they? That was my thinking. Yeah. They, they tend to be a similar age. I'm going to go Madonna, Axel Rose, Bono, David Morrissey. Is it David Morrissey? David, David Morrissey is the actor. actor. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought they Morrissey. were the same person for so long. I was so confused. Um, you're wrong, basically. Um, you had Madonna, top, didn't you? You're right with mm -hmm. that, 65. Morrissey was second, 64. Bono, 63. Axel Rose, 61. He looks awful for 61. <laughs> whoa, whoa. You look awful for 29, Ryan. Let's not throw hey, shade at people. I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did not realise he was uh, the youngest out of that group. I would, uh, yeah, we'll leave that there. Um, this has been Sky or Ryan Lowe, and this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Just uh, I actually wanted to finish today's show with an email we got from Steve Gibson, I'm assuming, not the Middlesbrough owner. Um, Might be. He says he loves the show, and he often listens all the way from Vietnam. Um, he's also added that it's not that cold there, so he doesn't need us inside him to keep warm, um, which is a reference to Sunday's episode, if anyone is extremely confused right now. Um, Steve also suggested a new game for us, which we may use in the future. However, I was more interested in the fact that he listens to us from Vietnam, from Nam. So if you are listening to us from abroad, please let us know and why you're interested in the championship, because I always find that quite confusing when uh, we have listeners from abroad interested in the second tier I promise it's not an exercise in us blowing our own horn I'm just intrigued so if you want to get in touch where you're listening to us from please do at secondtierpod at gmail.com is that right Justin? Second tier worldwide Second tier worldwide Mr Worldwide Um. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. Of course, if you could give us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on, that would go a long way to helping us grow as a podcast. It only takes a few seconds of your time, and we would really bloody appreciate it if you do that. So please consider 
doing so. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I have been Ryan Tilks. I have been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.